As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined, as always, by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. Stu, interesting Saturday. Uh, I got back from Michigan, got to see the Wolverines up close in an entertaining game against, against Maryland. But I think we should start out in the state of Kansas, where all of a sudden both schools are very good or at least seem to be pretty good in football and we haven't been able to say that about one of them in a long time we'll, we've touched on the Jayhawks and Lance Leipold a little bit we'll get into them more but one of the subplots of this podcast for a while has been Adrian Martinez so please now are you on the bandwagon I feel like I joined the bandwagon when I picked Kansas State to win the Big 12 this preseason uh he just needed a fresh start you know, and when he picked Kansas State, I thought, you know, that that could work because I think Chris Kleiman's a really good coach. And as we suspected and now know for sure, that was quite the dysfunctional program he was he was playing in before. But I just wish I hadn't hopped off the bandwagon after they lost to Tulane last week. It was quite the turnaround from scoring 10 points against Tulane to going to going into Norman and putting up uh, 44, was it? 41 44 41, something like that 34 was the yeah. score but but, but age five total touchdowns four on the ground really good through the air i mean and the 55 yard run on third and 16 just the icing on the cake it was a it was i mean i i don't remember every nebraska performance insight i'm not an encyclopedic uh recall on that but i gotta think that was the best performance of his career well, especially there, right? I mean, Oklahoma was riding high. They just smashed Adrian's old school in Lincoln. Um, right before that run, he made a, you know, he basically breaks away from contain. There's like four guys around him. And then there's a somebody who looks like he's going to catch him as he's chased to, the, to his left. And he shows that speed. And then instead of just taking off, he flips it. It's a really nice touch. Probably gets a 20-yard completion. And I was like, those two plays, the one you talked to, the one I know, the one I just spoke to, I think are why are a big reason why we thought he was going to be a great fit at Nebraska. And 
Look, I mean, I, I think you saw some emotion come out of him. Everything I, I've heard from behind the scenes is that, you know, look, he's handled a lot of a lot of really challenging situations, both football related and not football related, um, you know, with with grace and maturity. And he always seemed like a guy who was much more mature than his years. And so I felt really good for him to see it. Um, as we've talked about here, we're both huge Deuce Spawn fans. There's some some amazing stuff Deuce Vaughn does in that game too to to keep the chains moving and really to keep Oklahoma on their heels. I mean, it wasn't like like Dylan Gabriel was really good. I mean, 330 touch, 330 yards, passing four touchdowns. They ran the ball really well with Eric Gray. Like the Sooners' offense um, was strong, but I just thought what you saw from Adrian Martinez, you know, they completed more than I think 50% on third down and. It was a very, very entertaining game. I'm sitting like, you know, pretty much our whole crew was flying back. Um, and that was the game they were just like, you know, that in the AM, and we'll get to the AM game because there was two, you know, especially wild moments in that game. But it, it was a it was a fun Saturday. I, I don't feel like I was shocked that Oklahoma went down at home just because um, I don't know if we were all the way in on buying in on Oklahoma. They, be, they, they looked impressive, but Nebraska is, is such a mess right now. I don't know if I would read too much into it. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, peop- I, I too thought Oklahoma looked really good against Nebraska. And you're like, but then you're like, oh, wait a minute, Nebraska might just be absolutely terrible. And I think that it may have been, might have been unrealistic to think that Brent Venables could come in and just immediately turn that defense around with like Oklahoma has not been known for defense for many years, but look, it's Adrian Martinez might've either, either this was a one-time thing or the first three games of the season, Chris Kleiman was just hustling. Oklahoma it was just, it was all a long con literally the week before he was 21 of 31 for 150 yards and ran for 59. Um, this was quite the, the breakout performance and if he's going to play like that this year, more often than not, and like you said, Deuce Vaughn is is a lot to handle, they could be pretty good. Um, but the thing I'm struck by right now is I think there's a lot of teams in the Big 12 that are pretty good. I haven't seen a team in the Big 12 really that is bad necessarily, and that includes the mighty Kansas Jayhawks. Yeah, 4-0. Um, Jalen Daniels, people now know who he is. He actually – Played last year, uh, played in high school, not far from where I live, um, really close. And he's one of these guys that you'd hear some buzz from the KU people you knew. And then you're like, okay, he's, you know, I don't know if he's a Todd Reesing 2.0 kind of thing. I mean, that's where it feels a little bit of like the guy who came from a, a quarterback hotbed was kind of overshadowed. Reesing was from Texas and just, you know, didn't have the ideal measurables, but was a really good college quarterback for Mark Mangino. Jalen Daniels, obviously in a quarterback hotbed in Southern California and kind of had to battle his way to the um, to the top of the depth chart. Our, our buddy Max Olson had a nice story on him a few days ago. And he like they're really good. There's just no, you know, like what you're seeing against Mike Elko at Duke. I mean, he's one of the smartest defensive minds in college football. I, I think you look at what Kansas is right now. Um I don't. I would be. I would be skeptical to, to to jump in and say, yeah, I think they can win the conference. But this conference feels so up for grabs. 
I mean, I'm with you. I, I don't think there's anybody who's really bad. I watched West Virginia the other night against Virginia Tech. Now, Virginia Tech may be really bad, but like they went in there and they just smashed them. You know, JT Daniels looks pretty good at West Virginia and they have a lot of weapons on offense. Good win for Texas Tech yesterday over the Longhorns. Um, TCU, I, I, they're maybe a little bit harder to read, but they, they beat SMU. Um, I think Oklahoma State's still really good. Maybe the one team I'm not entirely sure about is Iowa State. But um, anyway, yeah, wide open. I assume Kansas will come back to earth a little bit at some point. You don't necessarily see a team like that that was just so bad for so long rise up quite that dramatically. But, I mean, I'm ready to put them in a bowl game at the very least, which oh, I that would seem like a if you had said that before the season, people would have checked you into a mental hospital. So, uh, Let me ask you a question. This yeah. is probably a question for our for our listeners. I'm probably better served. Maybe you know the answer, but I don't. Is it in fact mathematically possible for an entire conference to be bowl eligible? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, if everybody is like seven and five, I guess. Well, I mean, first of all, it depends on if you went three zero in the non conference. Like, if you go three zero the non conference. I mean, it. And if a bunch of teams that went three, no, in the conference go three and six in conference play. Yeah. yeah but then yeah. that would mean that like Texas, and Texas and West Virginia, obviously they both had a conference losses out of, you know, out, out of that. And maybe somebody will go five and seven. Uh, but I don't, you know, compared to most, I mean, every league, <clears throat> every other league has teams at the bottom that are terrible. I don't, it's concluding quite a few and the, there's the pack 12, which we're going to talk about later. It has some really good teams at the top and some absolutely brutal teams at the bottom, but I don't see that um, in the big 12. So uh, Max, our big 12 guru texted me, I think jokingly last night, Kansas, Kansas state in Arlington at the end of the year thoughts. Uh, you know what? I think I think the the folks in the state of Texas and Oklahoma probably don't, wouldn't like the discussion on that. But at this point, it doesn't seem very far-fetched. If you watched yesterday, like, I don't think there's anybody else who I'd sit there and go, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a program that, like, seems like they have a, a way clear talent advantage, you know? Like, Oklahoma State's sitting there 3-0. and I think Spencer Sanders is really good. They're going to play at Yeah, they're the ones you don't want to sleep on, I think. Yeah, the only thing is, it's like, I mean – so far they haven't really played anybody um, and now they're going to play Baylor on the road. So maybe we'll find out more about them, but I just, I don't know. It's a very interesting conference. I don't think, I don't know if anybody's a top legit top 10 team, but almost everybody feels like um, feels like I'm, they could be. A- I wouldn't say nobody's a legit top 10 team. I just, I don't know that at the end of the day, anybody's going to go to the playoffs. I think they're all going to beat each other. I don't think it, who's the, who would you say is a legit top 10 team? You think? Well, I think Oklahoma State could be, but like you said, I like to see them. You know, I like. I'm not, to, going I'm not writing off. Oklahoma. I don't think Oklahoma. You know, you don't. You think it's that preposterous that Oklahoma would turn around and finish in the top ten still, or that Kansas State would finish in the top? Like somebody, somebody, somebody will finish in the top ten, probably more than one. But uh, my guess is hard to forecast. Nobody, there will be nobody in the regular season who will be ten and two or better. Nobody in the regular season will be ten. Well, if that happens, and I'm not saying it wouldn't then people are just going to be like, oh, that's a totally mediocre conference, which I would beg to differ. Yeah, but, I would too. It's yeah. a very competitive league. Um, um, <clears throat> the SEC. Uh, 
assumed, obviously widely assumed to be a two-team conference, but a couple of interesting games yesterday. Let's a bunch start of interesting. Even the games that weren't, that didn't matter in the top 25, like the Missouri-Auburn game. Oh, yeah, that was fascinating. It was a, it was it was the most bizarre game I think I, I I mean let's get to that quick okay so mm-hmm. in the backdrop of Brian Harson job seemingly having hanging in the balance um, what you have is they're up fourteen to nothing they're playing Mizzou Mizzou's not very good and then all of a sudden it's tied 14-14. and it feels like um, Brian Harson goes for it on fourth and one at, at the Mizzou twenty nine that's a good field goal kicker. Um, with less than two minutes left for the chance to take the lead. They get stuffed. So instead of taking the lead, they get stuffed. And now Mizzou has the ball. Mizzou hits a big play, gets inside the gets inside the five, and basically kneels on the ball to set up their kicker. And their kicker for 26 yards out misses wide right. So now the game goes into overtime. Then there is the play in Auburn. Uh, Auburn, I believe there's an interception, but it gets overturned on Auburn's first possession. Then Auburn misses the field goal, but there's a penalty on that. So now it's five yards closer. Carlson hits that. So now they're up by three. So when you think, okay, first, they're sure to make the field goal in regulation. So that's going to be the end of Auburn. Then you think, okay, there's an interception. That's going to be the end of Auburn. Then he misses the field goal. Okay, that's going to be the end. So that's three. Then uh, he makes it. So now it's only three. And Mizzou hits a big run. The guy seemingly set up like at the one-yard line, but he fumbles. And oh, he was he was about to run into the end zone, untouched, and also untouched. Extends his arm and just drops it into the end zone. Touchback. Auburn wins. It's the it's the craziest way for like if you're an Auburn fan, I think you're like, Ugh, maybe maybe they won't be able to fire him tomorrow. <laughs> Would you agree that if that that if that, that guy if it, and when I say that guy it was Nathaniel Pete, the transfer from Stanford, if he doesn't fumble. Like they might have fired Ryan Harson coming off the field, if for nothing else, that fourth and one call. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's just a you know, yeah, and this is in the backdrop of last week getting blown out by by Penn State, and just I think the reality is, and we got into this on our big noon show, you know, they're going to have to pay him over fifteen million dollars, and have to pay it in a hurry or a big chunk of it. But I just feel like that place, they're not supporting him. It just seems like a really bad from, from the is, start. Is there any part of you that thought when he, because I think the fourth and one thing was just an absolutely insane decision that he's like, just let's just get this over with and give me my $15 million. I don't know. The one thing it reminded me a little bit of was when Coach O was at Ole Miss, they had the Egg Bowl game and they're up 14 to nothing. And I think he knew they wanted to fire him. And I think in the back of his head, he probably was thinking, we're going to beat them. We're going to we're going to pick up this for, fourth down and we're going to blow out our rival and beat them by, you know, 21 or 28 points. And then then it'll be hard for them to fire me. Now, I don't think Brian Harson was like, oh, I'm going to get this first down and we're going to make such a statement here win. But I just think it was like, hey, I'm going to show we're not we're going to be more. I'm sending a message to my team. And I don't want to say it entirely backfired because they ended up still winning the game somehow, but just a crazy, it's the whole thing is crazy. It's the most Auburn situation. And, um, you know, we can talk about Auburn where they go from here, you know, in subsequent podcasts. But. And, you know, Auburn has this history of these miraculous wins at, at credit to John Talty, Alabama, who, who said it on Twitter, 
they were saved by by Auburn Jesus. Uh, they're just miracle after miracle at Jordan Air. But um, at the end of the day, Auburn, I don't think, will be a factor in the SEC. Tennessee, you know, gets the Florida monkey off its back. Uh, Hen and Hooker, another phenomenal game. And they, yet, they, almost, they were a disaster almost struck at the end when, when Florida recovered the onside kick, but they weren't able to pull it off. Um, Tennessee, I'm just blown away by, if you remember, like they were awful by the end of the Jeremy Pruitt era. They've got this scandal going on. You think, what a train wreck. And Josh Heupel comes in, and if nothing else, they are nationally relevant, and they have a really exciting offense. Now, Anthony Richardson, who it appears is going to be quite the roller coaster this season. But he's a young quarterback, so maybe yeah. that's not shocking. So. He went for way over 500 yards, uh, didn't put a lot of confidence in the Tennessee defense. My question to you is, I have a two-part question. Is Tennessee the third best team in the SEC? And if so, could they beat either Alabama or Georgia? They play both of them. You know, they have such an explosive offense. You know, I remember they were doing that without Cedric Tillman, who's their best receiver. Um, I don't – could they beat them? Yeah. I mean, look, they're going to have to go play Georgia and Athens. I don't really love that matchup for them. The other thing that I don't love for them is they're doing it right after playing Kentucky, and Kentucky's pretty physical. So it's like that's not a great – you know, to me that's the worst possible um, timing for them to get. I'm short of them having the Alabama game, which – by the way, they only have Alabama a few weeks before Kentucky. So I don't know. I, I think we're going to find out way more about Tennessee over the next month because they got to go to Baton Rouge next week. Then they have Alabama. Then it's a, you know, it's a cupcake with Tennessee Martin, then Kentucky and at Georgia. So let's look at that stretch. That's five games. We're going to obviously give them Tennessee Martin. I'd be surprised if they're better than three and two out of that stretch. That might be the ceiling because that defense is, is, is like they, they could lose to somebody. I mean, Kentucky's not sorry. The team to take advantage of that, but you know, <clears throat> I, I mean, don't know. That's going to be really like, the one that interests me. I think Georgia will destroy them, but uh, you know, Alabama is a little bit vulnerable this year and they're going to Knoxville. That place will be a cauldron. It's been a long time since Tennessee. They play every year, and it has been a long – I can't even remember the last time it was even a competitive game. I can remember uh, when it was competitive when Lane Kiffin almost beat them the one year he was there. Yeah, that was – That was a long time ago. ago I don't think Butch came close. Certainly Jeremy Pruitt didn't. So that will be an interesting one. Um, that is also, yeah. I believe, the week after the Alabama A&M game that I think we agree is probably – Nick Saban is probably going to treat with um, particular – attention now they do get a bye week before they have to go to to lsu so i think that's a good time to have the bye week to kind of refocus after an emotional win looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, if Tennessee's not the third best team, and I'm not saying they aren't, but but uh, A&M was expected to be in that mix. Then they had two clunkers. Um, I give them credit for showing some life. Uh, great game from uh, a great running game. They're still not doing much in the passing game. But, man, you talked about it earlier. Have you ever seen a game end on a field goal, game-winning field goal attempt? hitting the top of the upright, bouncing straight up into the air by like 20 feet, and then coming back into the end zone, A&M wins. I don't even think A&M's quarterback's dad could pull off a trick shot like the kicker ended up doing. I mean, it was just like when I saw it happen, I'm looking at it on a small screen. I'm like, did that just hit the top? Because it was just such a, like, you think it's going to clear it, and then it doesn't. And, you know, if it goes over the top, then all of a sudden it gets to be an interesting, you know, call. Um of what happened there, but man, between that and the play where KJ Jefferson tries to reach the ball over the goal line, gets stripped. Then you think that uh, the Arkansas player has corralled. And I thought it was, I was about to say, look, they, that kid, that they stopped forward progress. And then it basically turns into a lateral that becomes a, a huge turning point. I thought in the game, because at that point it felt like, Arkansas was just clearly the better team. I give credit to AM because I think they showed a lot of resilience there. And we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I definitely do not like if you ask me who do I think is better, Tennessee or AM, I would definitely say say Tennessee. Um, but you know, AM has found a way to be three and one. And look, I, I don't it's a good question. Who is the third best team? I don't, we don't know enough about Ole Miss at this point. We don't know enough about Kentucky. That's a good point. Ole Miss. I have barely seen any of Ole Miss this year. They are four. Uh, No, you know, obviously we think they're top 15 ish kind of team, but I've barely seen any of them because they play Troy, central Arkansas, Georgia tech and Tulsa. The Tulsa game was, was a little tougher than expected yesterday. Jackson Dart um, is not, it's not like he's gone in there and is just tearing it up. So Zach Evans is. So is it possible they're the third best team? Yeah, but we haven't really got is a chance to, to measure Kentucky, Kentucky went into the swamp and their defense looked really good. And they, we know they have a playmaker quarterback. I mean, would you give any credence to Kentucky being the third best team? Yes, I, I would. Um, but I just don't, when they play Tennessee, do you, I just don't think Kentucky is going to be able to match them offensively. They're better offensively than they used to be, but that's still not, you know, that's not, that's, are you really going to be able to keep up with Hendon Hooker? Who, by the way, uh, the new high, athletic Heisman's draw poll will come out on Tuesday, I believe. Hendon Hooker's got to be at or near the top at this point, right? I don't know if he'd be at the top. I think he would be, um, I think he would certainly be there, but um I don't know. I mean, look, uh, Caleb Williams 
I don't want to say it came back to reality, but like their offense looked way different. O- Oregon State gave them all sorts of problems. Caleb was not sharp at all. I think that's going to, I don't want to say cause people to pump the brakes a little bit on the USC Caleb bandwagon, but you know, it's an interesting mix because, because, you know, yesterday, Georgia, you know, did not like, that was the first time that was the the closest thing we've seen to like a little bit of a clunker performance against Kent state. And, you know, Stetson Bennett, I think people are looking at him as a Heisman guy. I don't think CJ Stroud did anything to remove himself from being the favorite. So I would, could Hendon, could, is it potentially possible for Hendon Hooker to win a Heisman? Certainly, certainly with the path of teams they play. Yeah. I mean, he would have to beat one or both of those teams. Uh, you mentioned Stetson Bennett. I think the Heisman candidate for Georgia is Brock Bowers because Heisman voters love somebody who, who plays a unique role, right? Remember uh, Jabril Peppers made it as a finalist because every week ESPN would show how many snaps he played at all these different positions. Um, I think that it's fascinating what they're doing with him. He was a running back in high school. And though he is a tight end and he's a great pass catcher um, in the last two weeks, he has scored rushing touchdowns. Todd Malkin is not afraid to use him in that area. Uh, I mean, he, he, that sounds crazy, a tight end to win the Heisman. But if we assume that Georgia will be uh, number one, if we, if they end up running the table and being number one for the the whole season in the regular season, like somebody from Georgia is going to be in New York. And I think it might be him. Uh, maybe so. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would say you know, he's definitely an interesting player and in how they're using him. And I also think what Munkin is doing is smart for a couple of reasons. You know, it's like, I also think it is raising his profile because he's being very creative. Yep. And, um, you know, it's hard to, I think it's hard to, when you, when you, on a defensive minded head coach with the talent they have, I mean, they're not asking him to go, go turn into to air raid or anything like that, or putting or doing what Lincoln Riley's doing, but to find creative ways to, to utilize your best offensive weapon, I think is really good. Look, if Georgia tech comes open very soon, you know, if you're Georgia tech, you say, Hey, this guy's kind of right down the road. And he's, he's had success as a, as a, as at least a group of five head coach. Um, there's, there'll be a little more buzz about him now. He certainly helped them win a national title last year with Stetson Bennett. So, um, I think, I think it's a, it's a kind of a two prong thing. And also it gives defenses a lot more problems. Certainly. All right. You, you mentioned Caleb Williams. I knew that Oregon state game would be tough going to Corvallis. I even, but did you uh, think it'd be tough the way it was? No, that's the thing. If you told me Oregon state was going to win, uh, 38 to 35, I would have believed you, but it was a defensive struggle, and Caleb Williams, for most of that game, just looked off. He just uh, – I got to give a lot of credit to Oregon State. They bottled up Jordan Addison nearly the entire game. Unfortunately, though, <laughs> not on the, on, the, on, the, on the most important play, that touchdown pass, uh, at, you know, that the put them up ahead. And then Oregon State – something about USC's defense. Maybe you have some insight into this year. This year is just phenomenal at intercepting passes. And – they had four last night, including the one that that sealed the game. Let me just take a quick look here at the Nash. I have to assume they're number one, but let's take a quick look. Um, indeed, leading the country with 11 interceptions. Because it's not 
we know it's not a, a elite defense by any means. It's it's not a it's not a lot of high end talent on that defense. But if you can take the ball away, then that's going to help make up for it. But they were very fortunate to win in Corvallis. Um, they came back to earth a little bit. Now earlier Saturday, there was an absolutely wild game in the Pac twelve where. Oregon snatched the victory away from Washington state in like the most heartbreaking fashion. I think I could see Washington state was winning the whole game. And then, uh, Bonix to, to, um, Troy Franklin, 50 yard touchdown to take the lead. And then Cam Ward throws a pick six on a screen pass. Oregon wins. Um, that's a, that's a gut punch, uh, for the Cougars. They were right there on the brink of their second top 25 win already. Um, there are a lot of teams that could win the Pac-12, right? Yeah, I know we've had this conversation. We had this conversation on on Big Noon yesterday whether the Pac-12 is a lot better than we thought it was or is um, coming in. And I think it's going to be hard to get much more of a ceiling on it because I think what happened yesterday or last night, to circle back to USC for a bit, is I think it kind of exposed some people to like, okay, USC is USC is not like... And everybody's maybe entitled to like one one off performance and credit to Oregon State, but they that definitely nobody saw them getting slowed down and getting like their wings clipped like that, right? So right. I, I think it's you know it's going to be hard for the league itself. You know, it feels a little bit like the like <laughs> it feels a little bit like the um, the Big Twelve, except the Pac twelve has some dregs in there at the bottom, which the Big Twelve does not. You know, Colorado is horrible. Arizona State is horrible. Um, Stanford is horrible. Pretty close to horrible right now. Um, so I think that that takes it a little bit. But um, you know, good look, good on Bo Nix. I did not think he was going to have two good performances in a row, especially one the second one on the road. And, I and think he well, had a ninety-five yard pick six in the first half. So you think, okay it's the Bo Nix experience all over again, but Oregon played really well in the second half. And yeah. And I think, look, I think that they're a, I don't know. I still think they're going to stumble around a bit more and probably be like eight and four ish. But if you had said, um, you know, going in, I mean, look, this is three touchdowns, one pick on the road. He completed 75% of his passes and threw for 428 yards. Like, you know, who could use Pretty that good. right now? Brian Harson. <laughs> There's a little bit of a uh, kind of like we described with Adrian Martinez. Bo Nix getting a fresh start, shaking off that Georgia game, playing a lot better. Now, Washington, again, Michael Penix, again, did whatever they wanted against Stanford last night. Utah, don't forget about Utah. Uh, they clobbered Arizona State. Um, I mean, any of... USC, Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Utah, who am I for? UCLA is undefeated. Um, any of them I could see getting to the Pac-12 title game, especially with no divisions. Agree. UCLA will get Washington in the Rose Bowl this Friday. Should be a very interesting game right now because right now UCLA has, I mean, the best team they've probably played so far is not a Pac-12 team. It's probably South Alabama. So we'll see what, you know, I watched a bunch of Washington last night against Stanford. Um, I got to admit, I was like dozing off at the end of it, but um, you know, it's um, 
I, I don't know. Let me ask you this. So we'll just kind of finish on uh, the Pac-12 on this. Do you think um, where do you if you were voting in the pack, you know, for your top 10, did you drop USC down at all? Um, I don't like to penalize teams for close wins on the road. Mm-hmm. I mean, Oregon State is is pretty good and you, you still went in there and won. I just think it's, it's a little bit of a reality check that that offense is not going to score is not necessarily going to score 40, 50 points every week. A lot of credit to Oregon state's DBs because USC has got some good receivers and guys just weren't getting open. And I think you could see Caleb Williams getting really frustrated. What I would say is what, if I were a voter is I would not have USC as the highest PAC 12 team. That would be Washington. I think they deserve to be there right now. Fair enough. Um, by the way, the Washington win after last week, smashing uh, Michigan State. Michigan State had a rough Saturday, right? Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's it's amazing how quickly you can go from. I believe Michigan State was number eleven in the country going into that uh, uh, that that Washington game, and then after getting blown out there, and then Minnesota dominated them about as badly as a team can dominate somebody. At one point, it was like two hundred and twenty three yards to one. Uh, Clearly, Michigan State has issues and it's not going to be anything close to the number 11 team in the country this year. And credit to the Gophers, uh, Tanner Morgan looks like 2019 Tanner Morgan, not the guy who lost to Bowling Green last year. Um, they, You know what? You know why he might look that way? Because Kirk Scirocco's back as his offense. That's absolutely why. I mean, they. I was very high in the Gophers coming into the season because of that, because he's back. and it w- And it looked just like, I mean, if you watched it, He's running those RPOs. He's pulling it when he should. Um, I will say Michigan State at this point, uh, at some point, Mel Tucker is going to have to figure out his secondary. They're just, it's two years in a row now. But so especially um, as a guy who was a lifelong secondary coach. Transfer portal hasn't hasn't done enough there. Um, can, I, can I, before we move off the big 10 yeah. for a second, interesting thing. So obviously I saw Blake Corum in person. I was super impressed by him as a running back. Um, the Big Ten has a lot of good running backs right now. Uh, Mo Ibrahim went off yesterday. He's second in the country in rushing. The guy who leads it is Chase Brown, who is from Illinois. He was one of my freaks list guys. He's he's one of the Brown twins who's, you know, he's a Canadian kid who's very explosive. And I feel like one of the more best, one of the more underrated guys. But then you get past him. We know about Braylon Allen. He's number five in the country. And then you get Nebraska and Anthony Grant. He's actually number 10. Five of the top 10 rushers in the country are actually big 10 running backs. And none of them are playing at Ohio state and none of them are the five-star freshmen. Right. But like Singleton, none of them are playing at Ohio state because Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams are, are just sharing. No, I get it. I'm just saying like, yeah. it's, they it's were interesting both to see good against Wisconsin, you know, Mo and, and Brown are one, two in the country right now. And it feels like they have, both a chance now it's early, but to be 2000 yards backs this season. And that's not, you know, who knows what Braylon Allen goes on and does. So when seeing Michigan up close and the Maryland game was a lot tougher than their first three, but they won. And, uh, you know, and Blake Corm had that huge game. Are they as seeing them up close? Are they as good as you thought they were not as good as you thought they were? I think they are because Maryland has a lot of firepower. You know, I don't think Dante Demas is on a pitch count right now. He's not at a, I don't know if he's at a hundred percent, but you know, 
you have a talented quarterback with with a bunch of really good receivers. I think they're pretty good in the secondary too. Um, I saw some good things from J.J. McCarthy. There was a play where he had the ball for what felt like 20 seconds, scrambling around on a third and long, and he actually picked up the, the first down with his legs. I mean, just he gives them the opportunity to do certain things that Cade just couldn't do. His arm is much better. His He's just got – a lot more uh, juice in him, you know, and especially in the, as a threat running and scrambling. Um, they were down without their best tight end, Eric All. They were, you know, down at receiver a little bit. Their offensive line's good. I I think their, you know, their secondary, I think, is, is going to be a little bit of a challenge. You know, certainly, you know, Ohio State will present that problem. I think Penn State could present some problems. We actually have them this week at Iowa coming up. Now, Iowa's offense isn't very good, but I, I, if you said to me right now, do you think Michigan's a top five team? I would say absolutely. After seeing them, yes, I would. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com audible. That's linkedin.com audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Number five, Clemson, who I want to talk about. One, a great win over Wake Forest, a very dramatic win over Wake Forest. This was, uh, if you took Clemson from the last six years and reversed it, this is what you would get. Um, DJ, I think that was the best game of his career, certainly the best since his freshman year. He was just, you know, putting the ball exactly where you should put it and not, not looking at all like the guy who struggled so much last year. But you just do not expect to see a, a Clemson defense get torched over and over and over again as they did by Sam Hartman. They had some injuries. 
uh, in their secondary. So some younger guys were playing, but it was, you know, my, my hesitation on Clemson and why I didn't think they could return to being a playoff contender was the offense. And now it's like, okay, yeah, they could do that. Look at that. The offense looks a lot better. And then the defense takes a big step back. Yeah. Look, let's remember you have a first time defensive coordinator. I think that's a challenge. There's, there's, there's so much talent in the front seven where you think, okay, how's this gonna, how's this gonna work that, but Sam Hartman was lighting them up yesterday, right up till, you know, till the end of the game. And, you know, there were plays under pressure and everything. I thought, I thought he was terrific. You know, again, this was interesting to me just because if you look at the last four meetings between these two schools, Wake Forest had lost by an average of 39 points a game. Now, that number started out at the, the fourth four years ago. It was or five years ago they lost by sixty, and then I think they lost by like fifty, and then it was like the last two were like in the twenties. So they've clearly, you know, kind of gotten a lot closer to each other. But as you said, I agree. DJ is playing. Um, you know, you watch that opener against Georgia Tech, and it looked like there was a. I think there was a scramble he made that kind of like okay, you know, like he made a couple of impro- improvised plays where it kind of settled him down and maybe boosted his confidence a little bit. Um, and I think because of that, you know, I'm still not, I'm still not thinking like this was my fourth playoff team and I didn't feel great about it. I still don't, but I think he is, he, I think he's just settling down and you see him growing and growing with these games and to do that on the road in a game where it was a shootout. I don't think that happens if, if, if he's in this situation last year, I just don't, I don't think they'd, they would have responded the same way. No. And look, Wake's defense has been their weakness for a long, long time. So you take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, but I don't know the the way he was throwing it, putting, you know, his, he's putting an exact right spot for his receivers. Of course, if he's successful, that opens some possibilities for Will Shipley. Look, they got to turn around this week and play NC state. NC state's a top 15 team. Um, they beat Clemson last year. They have if better they, players on defense than Wake Forest. They do. Team. They do. If Clemson wins that, then you're looking at okay, this this could be this could be a, a playoff run. Except for one thing, Bruce, Florida State looks really good to me. Uh, they just annihilated BC. I wasn't expecting Jordan Travis to come back so quick. He looked like he got. I mean, he was he was in a walking boot on the sideline after and when he got hurt in the Louisville game. He came back. He shredded them. I just think they're really talented. And now, you know, and, and Clemson has had distanced themselves from Florida State for many, many years. But in, a, I would say, normal world, that should be a competitive uh, rivalry. Yeah, I, I look, I feel like they've turned the corner um, again. You and I have talked way too much probably about those those like Sunday or Monday opening week games where you probably can read too much into a performance. But, um, yeah, this definitely been progress. On the flip side, uh, the uh, Florida State's other big rival, Miami, had a terrible loss against Middle Tennessee. They were really bad on defense yesterday. They were really sputtering on offense. Um, I don't know if it was. I, a- I think you're being generous when you say they were really bad on defense. I mean that that was. I actually found myself gravitating toward that game in that window, probably the most of any game in that window because it was so surreal. And look, credit to Middle Tennessee. They've been a good mid-major program for a long time. They go to bowl games almost every year. But they had never beaten a top 25 team in the history of their program. You can debate whether Miami should have been ranked. Um, And 
Middle Tennessee is there were, you know, they are just dropping balls over the heads of Miami secondary. Uh, they had like a 98 yard pass an 89 yard pass, a 71 yard pass. This was a quite the reality check for, for Mario Cristobal that his, he's got a long way to go. I mean, that was just a, a, a everything that could go wrong. And the crazy thing is this is the third time in the last few years. I mean, they lost to Louisiana tech in a bowl game. They lost to FIU a couple of years ago. Um, this is this is this is something. Uh, Here, here's the reality, just from yeah. seeing them this this summer in uh, you know in in August in practice. I don't. I'm not saying they're Nebraska, but like when you look at them, their receivers are really average. Their backs are okay. You know, I think you know people looked at at the quarterback last year because he he had such a surprising uh, run and he did some really good things, but. There's, I don't know when anybody, if you're an NFL scout, you go there and go, okay, that guy's a first round pick. And this guy's, that's not this roster. And yet they were picked to win their division. I think it speaks to what's in that division. Though. Yeah. That and like just the benefit of the doubt, even 20 years after their, their glory years, they always just get the benefit of the doubt because they're Miami. But um, how does that happen? How, how does Miami in one of the biggest hotbeds in the country get to have you you know you said not quite nebraska but that bad a roster if they 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 missed on recruits a lot of they just had some a lot of bad evaluations and i think it also didn't help that you had a coach who was on the hot seat for for a while there before going in um but like for miami to be so underwhelming at receiver i think like when just looking at what they had and then you look um it's not a lot of difference makers i mean I thought they were an eight and 14, but you look at what, look at that division that they're in Virginia tech. Some, you know, like they were horrible the other day. Right. Um, then you have Duke, Virginia. Virginia is not good. North Carolina gives up tons of yards. North Carolina's defense is, is horrendous. They Notre Dame went from, you know, uh, uh, everybody wanted to panic and fire Tommy Reese to lighting it up against that UNC defense. Yeah, I mean, Georgia Tech, I mean, it's only a matter of time before they pull the plug on Jeff Collins there. Um, and when, by a matter of time, it looks like that'll be Monday if they've scheduled a special meeting. Uh, Pitt's still good, I think. Yeah, I think they're I think they're they're pretty good. Um, I don't know if I would go much more than that. I don't think they're as good as they were last year, but they're not bad. And almost every other team in that division is bad. So, yeah. Um, we could be, we, we, I don't know. I would actually say we're probably going to get Pitt back in the ACC title game. I just don't know who's going to come out of the other division, but you know, it was just, and then they would show whenever they would show a wide shot at the Miami game, it looked like there were 12 people in the stands, which is not unusual um, at that stadium, but it was just kind of a buzzkill because there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of enthusiasm since Mario Cristobal got hired and all the money they're pouring into that program. And John Ruiz is throwing NIL money around. And I think Tyler Van Dyke is kind of the face of his, uh, of the life wallet. And that guy, you know, he just looked, he, he's had a rough year and he's been, he got benched and I just, he doesn't seem comfortable in that scheme. And then you're saying he has no receivers. So, you know, it's just, now it's the fourth game of his first year. Everybody's going to want to fire the guy now, but it's the fourth game of his first year. He needs time. You know, he can recruit and he will. But um, 
And it's like kind of become a rite of passage. Every Miami coach now has one of these like inexplicable group of five losses. Speaking so of inexplicable say, group of five losses. Let's say we get to, uh, let's say we get to our shout outs too. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to take a second to um, salute the Northwestern Wildcats for finishing 0-3 in the non-conference with losses. Maybe that to, just means they're going to win the Big Ten West again. And maybe so. All right. Yes, go ahead. Shout out. Why don't you go first? All right. So it's been a long time since there was anybody exciting on offense for Cal football, right? Just that's not who Justin Wilcox teams are. They've got a true freshman running back, Jade Knott who was their highest ranked recruit in many years. He went off for 274 yards against Arizona, the third highest in school history and um, highest by any running back in FCS this season so far. True for, again, my God, a freshman. Something for Cal fans to be excited about. There you go. Um, I'm, I'm going to circle back. My shout out is going to be Adrian Martinez. Again, just I know we've talked about him so much. I just think that, like, to me, that's the main thing is the main thing. For me, he was he was the story of the night, Saturday Saturday night, to see him have that stage. I don't know if, if they're going to end up winning the Big 12, as I think you predicted they would back in August. But um, I was just very happy for him just because it feels like he has he's kind of been a punching bag at times. And I, I think he, it was good to have it – was, it was good to at least him, see him shine on such a big stage. And then let me just wrap by giving a shout out to Ralph Russo, frequent friend of the podcast from the AP. Uh, scary moment at the at the Iowa Rutgers game last night in the press box after the game. A, one of the writers had a heart attack and our man Ralph administered CPR until the paramedics could arrive. How about that? Wait, I, I know nothing about this. What this actually happened? This actually happens. You, you missed a Slack message last night, apparently. Um, I texted with ralph he's he he was downplaying his role in it a little bit but at the end of the day like he's scott Dockerman, our iowa writers one who told us about it he ralph sprang into action and, and administered cpr and um you know uh i can't i mean i've never seen that i can't imagine how terrifying that was uh and and you know i guess i didn't know ralph could do cpr but could, you know maybe it's because he's married to somebody in the medical field i don't know but like, I mean, Ralph's out there saving lives, Bruce. Yeah. Um, maybe that means the Mets will win the World Series this year. Ah, yeah, maybe. Good, good uh, some good karma for him. Um, by the way, I, I hope Heron Judge hurries up and gets his home run so they don't have to keep cutting into college football games for it. Um, you can send, so Wednesdays we do emails. Send your emails to the audiblepod at gmail.com and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.